Amen. So if you're visiting with us this morning, I want to say good morning. And just so you know, uh, Tony, who was up here speaking just a minute ago, is our senior pastor here. And I am the youth pastor here at Michael Memorial. And we've been uh, working through the book of Acts. And I have the privilege of landing here and just being able to share uh, this passage of Scripture with you guys. So we'll, be, we'll continue our conversation we've been having. We'll be in Acts chapter so if you want to go ahead and flip your Bible to Acts chapter 4, hopefully you brought a copy of Scripture. If you didn't, there's a Bible. It uh, should be one right in front of you. So grab a hold of that Bible, just flip open to Acts chapter 4, and we'll continue this discussion. So really, Acts is uh, really just a, a picture of the, the birth of the church and the early church. And so, uh, you know, at this point, Jesus has been crucified. He has risen from the dead. He is charged his disciples, his followers, to go into all the world and make disciples. And then the Holy Spirit comes and gives his disciples the, the power and the ability to do what he's called them to do. Um, but we've been, in this, we've been in this for the last really couple weeks. And I don't know if you're like me. I, I hate walking into a movie late. I don't know if anybody else like that. I don't get a chance to go to a movie very often. But when I do, um, man, I'm ask my family. Like, I'm, we're there early. Uh, I got to be there in time to get my popcorn, my Coke, get up in my seat. I want to see all the, all, all the previews of all the other movies. And I, like, I have to be able to see it from beginning to end and don't talk to me in between, right? Like that's just how I am. So I feel like if we don't back up just a little bit, we're gonna, it's going to be like we're kind of late going into a movie. And so we need to talk about some of the things that's happened for the last couple weeks. Um, so a couple weeks ago, Tony was unpacking this passage of Scripture in, in Acts chapter 3. And, and what we see here is Peter and John are going into, uh, they're going to the temple. And as they're going to the temple, they run across this man who had, the Bible says that he was a lame beggar from, from birth. He, was, he was, was crippled and he had been crippled from birth. And so people would carry him in and lay him uh, at the beautiful gate. And then uh, he would just sit there because he couldn't do anything else. And so he would, he would beg for money. And so he, asks, uh, he asked Peter and John for for money. And in that moment, we see in, in, uh, in Acts chapter 3, verse 6, we see, it says, But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And so we see that he's like, I don't, we don't have any money. That's not really our thing. But what I do have uh, and he, he, in the name of Christ, and we've really been talking about the name of Jesus, he says, rise up and walk. And Scripture says they grabbed him and pulled him, and this guy leaped. And I don't know, I was thinking about this week, I was thinking about, I don't know, was it a heel click? Like he jumped up and did the whole heel click? Uh, then it says that he went in like praising God, and he was leaping around. And I just, I can imagine this guy, he's, he's leaping around, and like he's maybe skipping through and around. And like people all of a sudden begin to take notice, and they're like, who, wait a minute, who is this guy? Like this is... Now, we know who this guy is. He's that beggar, and this guy's over 40 years old. And so they're looking at this guy going, no, he had to be carried in, and now he's, he's skipping around. And so what happens is, is they begin to draw a crowd, and everybody begins to gather around. And so any good preacher in that moment is like, okay, now i got an audience. I shall preach. And so Peter begins his second sermon here, and he's like, he's just going to take advantage of just going to take advantage of the opportunity. So while they're preaching, uh, the religious leaders and the authorities come in, and they are basically they arrest Peter and John right there in front of them as they're as they're preaching. 
And then something shocking, to, like something that just shocks me when I, when I read this passage of Scripture is that while they're preaching, they're arrested, okay? And then I, I don't know how this whole situation went. I don't know if, like, as they're being carried off, if, uh, you know, some of the other people that were with them were like, hey, what do we do? And they're like, hey, give a response. Yeah, I don't know, like, what that, but it says that 5,000 men were saved. Now, we just read that and we kind of move on, but stop and think about that. As they're being carried off and being arrested, 5,000 people said, I want in on that. Right? I mean, that's what happens. They're like, sign me up. Sign me up. I want some of that. And so, like, this, this crazy, so all this craziness is going on. So we see that, so what, what's happened here is where we're going to pick up the stories is they've been, uh, they've been arrested. And what we also see here is that anytime the gospel is proclaimed, there are going to be those who respond to the good news. And then the flip side of that is there will always be those in opposition. And so we're going to kind of wrestle with this with this, this morning. And so they've called in Peter and John and they begin to ask him. They begin to question him. So essentially they're like, okay, we know this guy too. And we need to know how you did this. How, how is it that this guy is up walking around? How is it that he's hopping around? How is it... We need to get a clearer picture as to what's, what's going on here. So Matt last week uh, preached through the first part of uh, chapter 4. I want to read just a, a few of the verses before we get to the text we'll be looking at today just to kind of frame things in because this is what's going on. How would you do what you did? It doesn't make any sense. Okay? So then here's Peter's response. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed, done to the crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. And there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so we see here that he's making a point. You, you crucified the, the one whom you rejected, and there's no other, there's no other name. There's no other name. So let me, let me pray. So we kind of just set the foundation. Let me, let me pray, and ask, we just need to ask for God's help, and uh, we'll launch into this uh, text this morning, okay? Father... Thank you so much, God, for your word. And I pray in this time that you, would, that you would use me. God, that you would speak clearly to us this morning. That you would accomplish everything that you desire to accomplish in every heart. The same Holy Spirit that we read about here in the book of Acts is active and well and at work. And we pray that you would be at work among us. That you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, God, that you would change us, conform us more into the image of our Savior through the power and work of your Holy Spirit. That's our prayer. That's our desire, that we would hear your voice and meet with you this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, verse 13. Verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men they were astonished and they recognized 
that they had been with Jesus. Now here's, here's something important. I think sometimes we read this passage of Scripture and think like they're getting out on them. You know what I mean? Like they're looking at them going like, okay, like here's a couple knuckleheads and we can't really figure out what's going on here. But it's not like this is, it's not, I don't see in this text that it's something that's demeaning. They're just stating the obvious. That they hadn't been to the same schools that the religious leaders had been. They hadn't been through the same, the same education and the same teaching and the same training and the same all that. They're looking at these guys and they're going, they're fishermen. Like they're fishermen. They're not scholars. And it's not that to be demeaning, but they're just stating a reality that not only that everybody in the room understands and knows that, hey, they're, they're just, they're not well-trained. They're not scholars. They're fishermen, and they're trying to put everything together because the, the way in which they're speaking, the, the way in which they are speaking with such confidence, the amount of knowledge and understanding that they have about the Scripture, the, 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 like it, it doesn't make any sense to, to who they are because they're speaking with so much, so much authority. And so they're scratching their heads and going, man, this just doesn't make sense. It's puzzling to us. We can't figure out how it is that they're Really, like these guys aren't the smartest guys in the room, but yet they're speaking like they're the smartest guys in the room. And so, you know, we get this picture of what's going on. And then if that's not enough, if that's not enough, in verse 14 it says, But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Okay, so here's the, the scene. The religious leaders are in the room. And you got Peter and John who are fishermen, not scholars, and then you got some guy standing with them that he's been a lame man since birth, over 40 years. They've seen him. Like, and so they're looking at Peter and John, and then they're looking at this guy, and they're looking at Peter and John, and they're looking at this guy, and they're like, I don't even know what to say right now. I don't have a clue. Like, what is, what is going on around me? Because I, don't, I, can't, I can't put all this, I can't put it all together. I don't know if you've ever, uh, you've ever felt like you're in a position where you were speechless. Like you, you were in a situation or you were, there was just something that happened and you're looking at that and you're going, I don't even know what to say right now. I mean, there have been many of those moments in my life and hopefully you, you've been there too. But like, uh, so it wasn't long ago, we were having dinner on Monday night. So at our house, we have Monday night dinners. And so everybody, like my dad, my stepmom and my sister and her kids and friends, family, you know, I'm just, it's Monday nights, it's nothing for us to have 10, 12 people at our house, and that's just how we roll. So every Monday night, you never know exactly how many or who's going to be there, but we're sitting around the table, we've gotten done eating, and the girls were, so my, my wife and my sister and my stepmom were talking about going to get a pedicure, and they, so they've done this before, and they have their place where they go to get their pedicure, and, uh, but they decided they wanted to try something different this time, they wanted to go to a different place, and so, you know, they pull up the phone, and they start looking for start looking for a new place and they come across this uh, so there was this place and I don't remember the name of it but it was they knew the name of it so they specifically looked up googled this place the name of this place massage envy or something I don't know but the point is is they they googled it and they're having this conversation they, they start getting excited like that this place is cheaper they do all this extra stuff that the other place doesn't do and so they're getting excited and they say something that sparks something in my dad now, my dad, oh, okay, 
So you got to be careful what you say around him because you ever been around somebody, you say something and that sparks like the thought of a song? So it's not just enough for, you know, for, for him to say the song that he's thinking about, okay? It's not just enough for him to sing about the song that he's thinking about. He's got to play it, and he's got to play it as loud as his phone will get it. So they're having this conversation about this place to get their pedicure. My dad instantly thinks of a song, and so he's over there looking it up on his phone. And so while he's doing that, my wife, you know, just hits calling, so she's on the phone having a conversation. Well, uh, my stepmom, her son at the time was in training to be an animal control officer, and so, you know, they have to do, go through all the training and everything. One of the things you have to do in that is you have to get tased, which is awesome if it's not you. So not only that, with technology today, you get to send that, right? So they send the video of, of my stepbrother getting tased, and so by this point is when it just, the wheels come off. My dad is blaring this song on his phone. My stepmom is watching my stepbrother get tased, and he's over there grunting. And my stepmom's going, my baby, my baby, you know. And, my, and at this point, my wife is like, she's about to get off the phone because she's made the appointment for the, to get the pedicure. And they're like, you do realize we're in San Francisco, right? <laughs> and I'm sitting back, and so then, like, all this is happening at one time. Everything. And I'm sitting there in that moment going, what is going on? And nobody else knows. Like, nobody else, Like, they're all in their own little world. They, she gets off the phone. She gets watching the video. My dad stops playing the song. And they're all sitting there and they pick up and have a conversation. I'm sitting there speechless. I don't say anything the rest of the night. Everybody leaves. And I, I go to my wife and I'm like, what just happened? She's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you were on the phone making an appointment for a pedicure in San Francisco while Pauline was freaking. Like, what in the world? And nobody had a clue. And I couldn't, say a, I couldn't say a thing. Like, I was just I was just in the moment, just like, I don't know what to say. And so that's kind of what's going on here. Like, they're standing here going, I don't know what to say. Because... There's Peter and John, and the things that are coming out of their mouth, it just doesn't make sense. And then there's this guy, and he's skipping, right? And so our first point, if you're following along, you got your listening, God. The first point for us this morning is that God can do anything, and he can use anyone. Okay? And how do we know that? Because he can do anything. We see the lame man that is now leaping around, and he can use anyone because... Peter and John are standing there proclaiming the way in which they're proclaiming. So we're, and, and they don't know what to do in that moment. They don't have a clue how to, handle, how to handle this situation. And so I was just thinking. I was thinking about if, if I asked you, do you believe that God can do anything? Most people in the room would say absolutely. And if I said, do you believe that God can use anybody? You would say Absolutely. And so we believe that God can do awesome things, things that can't be explained except any other way than Him. But if we're honest, we just don't think He can do them through us. Right? I mean, we believe that He can use Peter and John. We believe that He can use Pastor Tony. We believe that He can use 
Brian, we believe that God can do great things just through other people, not necessarily us. And so we see clearly in Scripture, I mean, you just stop and think about just a few examples. God can use the, the PhDs because he used Paul. He can use the GEDs because he used Peter, right? He can use the doctors because he used Luke. He can use the tax collectors because he used Matthew. And the list goes on and on and on and on. Like there's nobody that God can't use. And so there's no excuse that we can use to, to keep us from surrendering to the will of God. And so we see this so clearly and we just think, yes, God can do great things, but he can use, do great things through other people. That's the way he works. And so I just started thinking about all the different people in Scripture. Because I feel like oftentimes we, we elevate people in Scripture. We elevate people in our personal lives. Like we think that, okay, well, they're so much more spiritual and they're so much more this and they're so much more talented and they're so much more gifted. And so they can do those things, but I'm not one of them. And so oftentimes what we do is we think, well, these people in Scripture were just these amazing pillars of faith. And so this is not an exhaustive list. I just want you to just think with me through, through some of the people that God used and the excuses that could have been used along the way for these people. So, Abraham was way too old. Way too old to be used by God. Right? Jacob was a liar. Joseph was abused. Right? Joseph was abused. He was falsely accused. He was forgotten. Right? We can just talk about all the things. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was a coward. David had an affair and was a murderer. Rahab was a prostitute. I was just reading this week through Matthew chapter 1, and I, I was reading through the genealogy of Christ, and I got to Rahab, and I just stopped and smiled thinking about this. Like, who, can't, who is it that God can't use? Like, who, who is it? Josiah was way too young. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Job, Job went bankrupt, and he uh, experienced great illness. Great illness. Martha worried about everything. Zacchaeus was too small. And whatever your excuse is, it doesn't beat this one because Lazarus was dead. All right? So you can't, like, whatever you think, like, well, you, you, can't, you can't trump that. Lazarus was dead. The disciples constantly missed it. They totally just, Jesus would talk and it went over their head. They, and so they, they totally missed it. And in his hour of greatest need, when he asked them to pray, what did they do? Fell asleep. Peter denied that was what Peter did. Paul was too religious. You know what I mean? The list goes on and on and on and on. Let me read you a passage out of 1 Corinthians. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble, were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now, this scripture did not say that, hey, he's not going to ever use the powerful because he says not many were powerful. It doesn't say that he's not going to use the noble of birth. He says not many were of noble birth. But he says, look, I, I specialize in using ordinary people, flawed people like I, that's who I am that's that's what I do and so if you're in the room this morning you're thinking well there's nothing special about me 
Well, then what God is saying to us is like, what he's saying to you is like, then perfect. You're perfect for the job. If you're ordinary, if you, you are not, like you look in the mirror and you're like, I don't have anything to offer. He's saying, but are you willing? Because I can do all the rest. Like I, I'm very much capable. I'm God. I can do whatever I want to do. But I want to use you to do it. And so we can look in the mirror and say, okay, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm just an ordinary guy. That there's so many people that are more gifted than I am. There's so many people that are smarter than I am or better at the thing. Whatever that thing is that God's calling you to do. There's so many people that could do so much of a better job. There's so many people that don't wrestle with the things that I wrestle with because I wrestle with things on a daily basis. And look, it's hard for me to oftentimes put one foot in front of the other. And, and so like we could explain ourselves out of God's plan and purposes for our life if we want to. Like we could do that. We could do that. And the truth is, is everything that I just listed and all the things that you're thinking, they're all true. There are people that are smarter. There are people that are funnier. There are people that are more gifted. There are people that don't wrestle with, things that, with the things that you wrestle with. They're, all that's true. And God says, but I want to use you so that I can display my glory to the world around you. And I think oftentimes we see our weaknesses from the wrong perspective. And so the awareness of our weaknesses is a gift. The awareness of our weaknesses, it's a gift. And so that's how we come to Christ when we realize that we don't have anything to offer, right? That we are wicked, sinful people and that we desperately need a Savior. And that's how, we, that's how we come to Christ. But it doesn't change whenever we become followers of Christ. And so it's not necessarily these things that we should despise, that God wants to work in us and grow those weaknesses. But the point is, is that, and here's the point, the reminder in our weaknesses it's a reminder that it's not dependent upon us. What God has called us to do is not dependent upon me or you. Our confidence is not in our gifts or our abilities or our talents or anything other than him and him alone. And that's what scripture teaches. And that's what, what Peter and John understood here when they answered the question that was, that was before them. So I was, as I've been just thinking through this passage of scripture this week, I started thinking back to before uh, before I surrender my life to full-time ministry. Uh, and so some of you know, but some of you don't, that you know, before I came on staff here, I was, a, I was a fireman for 14 years. And so God saved me in this church. Uh, I just grew up in the faith serving, uh, served in student ministry for years and years and years. I can remember, I, I knew this f feeling, this, this tug within me. I knew that God was calling me to more. I didn't really know what that looked like, and I wasn't really sure what that was. I just knew there was something there. And so I just committed to be faithful to do whatever it was that God called me to do. But I can remember, uh, I, I, I mean, I don't want to exaggerate, but I would say hundreds of times. I can remember just because at the time, Tony was the youth pastor. And I can remember we would meet on Wednesday nights and uh, we, we would have service. And I can remember sitting in the back of the room thinking, well, I know God's called me to more. I don't know what it is, but I know 100% it's not that because... You're right, because I'm sitting there looking at, at him and listening to him and thinking there's no way that I can, like I don't, I'm not gifted that way. I, like I get nervous talking to people. It, and so like, I, and, and so I'm thinking like, there's no, I, I don't know what it is. I just know it's not that. I would watch him counsel with students and the way that he would lead. And I'm like, I don't, I don't, ha I don't have what it takes to, to do that. And then God in his wisdom, you know, there, there came a point in time where I was like, God's calling me to full-time ministry, and I'm going to do the impossible, what 
I never thought that I could possibly do. And the truth is, is that I can't do. And I can remember, I can remember the last day at the fire department. And so we'd work 7.30 in the morning until 7.30 the next morning. So I, I clocked out that morning for the very last time. And I was getting in my truck and I was about to pull out of the parking lot. And me and the Lord had a little moment. And with tears streaming down my face. And I'm not talking pretty cry. I'm talking, I mean, just a mess. And I can remember, now this wasn't some bold shake your fist at God moment, but it was a, I can remember distinctly, I was like, God, you better be right. (laughs) And I was dead serious. I was like, because what, I'm about to leave this behind and go do something that I don't have the ability to do. And I am scared to, I mean, I literally was just scared to death in this moment. And the, there was two things that I knew. I knew that God gave me his Holy Spirit. And so I was going to need his Holy Spirit to accomplish the things that he was calling me to do. That there was no way that I could do it. And I knew the grace and the mercy that Jesus had poured out on me and the salvation that he provided. And so whatever it was he was calling me to do, I was in. Okay? And I, and I believe that's the, the call for every believer. And I'm not saying that you've been called to full-time ministry, but you've been called to something. And so God's calling you to do something that you can't do in your own strength or your own power. And and whatever it is, he's worth it. Because he paid the ultimate price and we're no longer our own. Like he's called us to this and whatever it is, you can do it. And he's worthy of whatever it is he's calling us to do. And so we've got to press on. Verse 7 and 8, if we go back to the passage, uh, whenever they asked Peter and John. In verse 7 and 8 it says, And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power? Or by what name did you do this? And then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. So we see this picture that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the power and the work of the Holy Spirit that allows him to do what he's calling him to do. Uh, I was, Rod told me a long time ago a quote that Charles Spurgeon had made. And so I went in his office this week and I couldn't remember who said it. I just knew that it was said. And uh, so Charles Spurgeon, before he would ever step up to speak, he would always um, basically, it was his prayer in this declaration he, declaration. he would say, I believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit before he would ever get up to, to speak. And so essentially what Spurgeon is saying is, is like this, this declaration that I'm about to step off into something that I can't do. And so like I've, I've since Rod told me that, I'm like, gosh, I, like that's such a wonderful reminder before I get up to ever speak. So I do it every time before I get up to speak. And, and before he had told me that, what I, was, what I would do is I would, before I would do anything, I mean, I go back, I was thinking this week, I, I would go back to just when I was like teaching Sunday school or when I was counseling, and I would, I would always make this statement. I would like, I'd take a deep breath, and I'd say, all right, Lord, here we go. And, and so this morning was no different. As I'm walking up to the stage, just, I believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Okay, Lord, here we go. It, and it never changes. Like, that's... Our dependence has got to be, got to be on Him, and so you'll you'll find on your listening guys several questions this morning because I want us to think through some things, and so here's the question: Do you believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you see the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life? Here's Here's how we get the answer to that question. The way we get the answer to that question is 
Are you doing anything presently that causes you to be dependent upon God? Like you, you can't do it. I think of all the people that were, as Tony was talking, all the people that, they would all say, yes, yes. Every day I get up, the work that's in front of me, like, and so I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know if that's at your job and your family, ministry that God's called you to, like maybe something in your life that you know God's called you to walk away from. I, I don't know what it is, but the question for you is, or, are we just comfortably going through our, our nice little comfortable lives and just enjoying, like, are, are you presently doing anything that requires you to be dependent upon God? And if the answer to that is no, then the answer to the question, are you do you believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life? Is no. And so we've got to live our lives in such a way that, that we're dependent upon God. Like God's called us. To, he didn't call us to easy. I think the, the Western church is kind of, our culture we live in has kind of muddied this up for us. We think that, now we, we say that we don't want the, you know, the healthy, wealthy, and happy, and you know, we, we say that we don't believe in that whole your best life now, but the truth is, is when we get down to it, if we're not careful, that's really where we, where we live on a day-in and day-out basis. And God has called us to do hard things, to do great things. But the, the beauty of that is, is he didn't call us to do it in our own strength or our own power. So in verse 13, at the end of that verse, it says, uh, and they recognized that he, they had been with Jesus. And so here are these religious leaders, and they're looking at Peter and John. They're going, okay, so it's very, very clear. It's very evident that these people have been with, that they've been with Christ. And so what they're doing is they're connecting the dots back to Jesus. And so what Peter and John did, whenever they said, by what power and by what name, they're like, okay, well, they, they're connecting the dots to the Holy Spirit. It's only through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. And then now these people are, it's not just, Peter and John saying, hey, we've been with Jesus. They're looking at them and saying, it's very evident that the people that are standing in front of us have been with Jesus. And so that should be clear to the people around us. That, hey, we, they didn't have any formal training, but they had, been with, they had been with Jesus. And so I started thinking about just all the things that we're, that we're connected to. And so the things that people associate when they come and contact with us and so easily that you know it's it's football season so we can talk about like you know for a lot of us it's teams like there are certain teams that we're affiliated with like people know us they know us as a so-and-so fan so some of you you went to school at uh at particular schools and so um, so I think of Philip I was giving Philip a hard time this morning so Philip you know he's a huge old Miss fan and well, well he should be an old Miss fan because that's where he went to school and so you know he's but then we have I'm just going to pick up the mantle where where Matt left off. Um, then we have Alabama fans. Hey, you do realize you live in Mississippi. You've never been to school there. Your kids didn't go to school there. Not, not everybody. Some of you, like, you got ties. I'm with you. Like, you're connected. Nobody in your family's going to school there. You're not from Alabama. And it's not just you. There are, other, there are other fans of other teams, too. But it just seems to very, be very common because, you know, Alabama is successful now. So we didn't have all this problem whenever they weren't any good. <laughs> wow, there's no amen. So I don't know what the deal is here. 
You say things like we, right? Because we're connected, you know? And so, man, did you see how good we did yesterday? Man, I was worried when we were tied at halftime. Man, we did awesome. Did you see how well we did on defense? Because we're connected, right? We're connected. And so people say things like, okay, well, how'd you become an Alabama fan? Or how'd you become a fan of so-and-so? And how, right? Because they're connecting, they're connecting the fact that it's, it's very, very clear. It's very, very clear. Some of you Alabama fans are offended. Like, I'm getting looks. <laughs> but the point is, the point is, is like there's this connection that happens when, and so, so what are we connected to? It's not just sports and teams and all that. We're connected to certain things, and people, like, they understand that when they think of us, they, they understand that we're, we're affiliated with, with those things. And so the big question here is, is in, in light of what that verse just says, is can, can people tell that you and I have been spending time with Jesus? Are we that connected to Christ that people can, can tell that we've been spending time with Jesus? And so the, the answer to that question is, is they should. People should be able to tell that we should, uh, we, should look like, we should look like our Savior. We should look like Him. We should, we should live like Him. And what we do in private radically affects what people see in public. And so that's what's going on. Like, like these, Peter and John, they, they were with Jesus. They were in close proximity to him. And when nobody else was around, they were, they were taking in everything that Jesus had to teach them. And, and so they spent time with him. They learned from him. They were discipled by him. And people could, people could tell. And so the way in which we spend time with Christ in our, in our private time radically, will, will radically affect what people will see in public. And so that's what's going on, what's going on here. All right, so they've, you know, they're looking, they're perplexed. And then we pick up in verse 15. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. And so what happens is, is they send, they send Peter and John out and they're like, we got to figure out what to do with these guys. Okay, we, we got to do something, but we can't deny what's been done because everybody in Jerusalem is seeing what's done. This guy is like leaping around and everybody knows who he is. And so we can't deny what's standing right in front of us. So they decide to silence the messengers. Their goal is we're just going to do our best to, to get Peter and John to be quiet. And it's like, I, I have this sense in this moment, it's like this problem just won't go away. Like we thought by killing Jesus that the problem was going to go away. But the only problem is, is it, it didn't. You don't stop the name and the work of, of Christ. And so that backfired. And they're like, okay, well, we can't, like there's too much, this is way too publicized. If we do anything to them, it's going to backfire on us again. And so we got to do something. We'll just, we'll just silence them. And so what we see here is that they, these guys, they don't want to, they don't want to believe. They don't want to believe. The facts are right in front of them. All they want to do is just get rid of the problem. That's their, that's their desire. Just get rid of the problem. So as we continue reading this text. So, they called, so they've conspired. This is what we're going to do. Okay, we can't do this, but this is what we're going to do. And so they, they called them in and charged them not to speak or teach it all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. 
For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And so I want you to just think about the scenario. This isn't, uh, this isn't like, hey, gosh, I really want to invite this person to church, but I'm not really sure what they would think. You know, they may, you know, I don't know. This is, they're standing before the religious leaders, the, the ones who crucified Jesus. And they're saying, okay, here's the deal. We'll, we'll let you go just as long as you just zip it. You're not to say anything more about Jesus. All you got to do is be quiet. Now imagine yourself in that moment. You're standing for a judge who can send you away to jail. And saying, look, we're going to, you know, all that's behind us. Just all you have to do is just shut your mouth. Just don't say anything else. No big deal. Done. And, and think about the fact that it wasn't long ago that, that Peter was denying Jesus to a middle school girl. I mean, that's essentially what was happening. He's terrified in the presence of a middle school girl. He's worried about what's going to happen to him. Now he's standing in front of the religious leaders who can actually do something. And he's like, I'm sorry, bud. I can't. I can't do what you're, I can't do what you're asking. And so this is the situation. And so the problem that, that they're facing there is really the problem for, for us this morning, too, is that, that there's two ruling authorities. Now, we'll talk about this issue of civil disobedience for, for just a moment. But... I think there's a bigger issue here this morning that we can talk about. And so who is it that they're going to submit to? Will they submit to the rulers that are in front of them, or will they submit to the ultimate ruler of all? And so uh, next on your handout is a, another question. Who is the ultimate authority in your life? Who's the ultimate authority in your life? Is it us? Do we determine what is right and wrong? Do we determine what we want to do with our lives? Do we base our decisions on how we feel or what we have our own idea of the way we think things should be, our own idea of the life that we think we should, we should live? Do we let culture define? Do we let culture be the authority in our life and, and determine, hey, this is, this is what success looks like. This is the direction in which I'm going to go. And as long as culture says yes, then Yes is the answer. Is it our friends? Is it our spouses? Is it our government? Is it a political party? Do we submit to the authority of a, of a donkey or an elephant? Or do we submit to the authority of a lamb? The lamb of God. And so they're wrestling through this. And so do we submit to the authority of Christ? Do we find ourselves in situations where we're like, okay, like in this situation, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look to Scripture to see how God would hand, have me handle this situation. We have a difficult decision to make. Do we, do we wrestle through that decision through prayer and through Scripture? Do we, do we seriously look to get the answer from what God says, or do we just come up with our own ideas or look to culture or look to this or look to that? Do we, because this is the picture, that there's an ultimate authority. If you're a disciple of Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, then you're saying, Jesus is the ultimate authority in my life. And whatever he says, the answer is yes before I even know the answer. That's what he's called us to. And so to say, to say yes. In Romans 13.1, so we get a picture of government here. So in 
It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So there's this idea that, hey, we should submit to the authority in our lives. Like there's, so how do, we, how do we frame this? And here's how, I, hopefully this will help you understand it this morning. We should obey authority unless it commands something that God forbids or forbids something that God commands. So the authority in our life. We should submit to the authority in our life unless it causes us to, calls us to, uh, you know, to, commands us to something that God forbids or forbids us to do something that God commands. And so the problem here is, is that the authority in Peter and John's life, they're commanding them to do something that God forbids. That the glory goes back to, the glory goes back to God. And so for us in the room, you, we, we can't, you can't just say that I'm obeying orders. If, if you're at work and your boss calls you to do something that is immoral, that goes against the convictions and the teachings of Christ, that you can't just say, well, I mean, he's my boss, and I'm just following orders. It doesn't work like that. Like, you, you have a new boss, an ultimate authority above the authority that's been placed in our lives. But on the other end of that, I think sometimes that, that Christians will abuse that, and they'll say, well, I'm just rebelling against everything that they say because I don't like them. Maybe at one time they did something that was immoral or whatever, so I'm just going to just discount everything that they asked me to do. And so we, we can't just use it as an excuse that we're following orders to sin, and we can't just use it as an excuse to rebel against authority just because we don't like somebody. Okay? And so we, we just got to be careful there. And so in this situation, in this situation, Peter and John, they acknowledge, and I don't think they're being... I don't think they're being disrespectful here. I think if you read the verse, I think they're saying, look, I understand. You have, you have to do what you have to do. Like, do what you have to do. I totally get it. But we've got to do what we've got to do. And we're going to proclaim the name of Jesus. And that's what we're going to do. And so they acknowledge the authority that was in front of them, but they also acknowledge Jesus as the ultimate authority. So if you look at the two, the difference between the two, we see that the religious leaders acted out of fear of what they might lose, right? I mean, that's why they were doing what they were doing. There, there was a fear that they might lose their position or their power or their prestige. And so they acted out of fear. They just wanted to protect what they had because they knew if they really acted out of fear of the Lord, they were, they were going to lose what they had. And Peter and John acted out of their fear of the Lord. And so these two different responses, what they do is they lead to attention that you and I... Like we have to deal with. And this, it's one, of the, one of the tensions here is this desire to have people like us or to be Jesus people who are serious about following after Christ. And so do we want to have people like us or do we want to be serious about our faith? Do we want people to know that we are followers of Christ and everything that we do revolves around, revolves around that? And if we choose Jesus' follower, then what's going to happen is, is we jeopardize losing something that's oftentimes important to us. We jeopardize losing some, maybe some social status or some, uh, maybe invitations to certain things by certain people. Or you just fill in the blank. Just interaction gets weird sometimes. Now, this doesn't always happen, but it, it does happen. Uh, you know, be in conversation with people and they don't, they don't know me. Even sometimes still, like I run into... I run into firemen, and it's been, I've been going from the fire department for uh, six, seven years. 
and I'll still I'll run into guys, and it's like, they don't really know how to talk to me, right? They don't, because I'm a pastor. And you'll have conversations with people, and it'll come, well, what do you do? And, well, I'm a pastor. Oh, okay. I, um, yes, right? And so, and may, you, maybe you never experienced that, but it is, like, it happens. Like, people don't know what to do with this and so it does, it really does impact the way people interact with you. It does impact the things that you get invited to and, you know, this whole thing. So here's, here's an important truth. And I believe this is true for every person in the room. We'll have a conversation in just a second about the people who maybe this isn't true for. But the truth is, is we want people to like us. That's true. We want people to like us. You want people to like you. I want people to like me. And if you say that you don't care if people like you, one of two things. Either you're lying, you're like, you just want to kind of put that off like, I really don't care. But deep down, you want people to like you. But if you're serious, then guess what? People don't like you. If you really feel that way, then nobody likes you. I can promise. Like, if you act like that, you live like that, you don't care if people like you, you're going to live, do whatever you want, and you're going to... Mission accomplished. I mean, that's it. So... So then the question is, is there anything wrong with this desire to have people to like us? I've really been thinking about that a lot this week. Is there any, because I think that we get different answers across this room. Is there anything wrong with the desire to have people to like us? Is that, is that wrong? Is that bad to want to have people to like us? I think, I think our initial thing, like our initial response to that would be like, well, no, we shouldn't, like, and there's this, thing because okay well we do want people to like us if we're honest that's that's true Romans twelve eighteen says if possible so far as it depends on you to live peaceably with all so that means that we should do our best to, to have peace with the people around us because if people don't like you people won't listen to you you know that whole old saying, you know, people don't care, know how much people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Look, people aren't going to listen to us if they don't like us. Now, I'm not saying that we should bow to their opinions and their to their approval, but we it's I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to desire to have people to like us. So here's so here's how we get to the to the bottom of this. There's nothing wrong with the desire to have people to like you unless it causes you to sell out. See, there's, there's not anything really wrong with wanting people to like us. But when we compromise who we are in the life that God's called us to for the sake of their approval and their acceptance, then it's a problem. And so if it causes us to sell out or to com- compromise, if it causes us to give Jesus a makeover, if it causes us to make him more presentable to the people around us, then it's a problem. Then it's a problem. Proverbs 21, 29, 25 says this. It says, the fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And what that, what that proverb is saying is, it's saying if you live your life to please the people around you, If you live for their acceptance, it's a trap. It's a trap. If you live your life for the people around you, you live your life for their acceptance, it's a trap. 
We become a slave to their approval. And then now they're living your life. So on Tuesdays, we go to, uh, me and some of the guys here, the other pastors, we go have lunch and, uh, and then just any men. And so if you're interested in meeting with us on Tuesdays, then come find me or Tony or Rod or Matt. And um, you can find out where we go meet for lunch on Tuesdays. But there's a whole big table of us. And so uh, whenever the checks come around, you know, our server only has just a couple pins. And so it's always this thing where we're just passing the pins down the table, one, from one end to the other, right? You know, hey, we need to sign our, and so can you pass me that pin? I'm passing this pin. And so here's, here's, what, here's what I think happens whenever we live for, for the people around, for the approval of people around us. I think what we do is we're like, we look at God and we say, the author of life, which was proclaimed in, in chapter 3, the author of life, and we're like, hey, can, can I get that pin for a second? Just one, yes, thank you. And we walk it down here to somebody else, and we hand it to them and say, you write my story. That we've now given them the power to live our lives and to write our story. And what we do is we take the pen out of the author of life and give it to somebody else. Matt Chandler puts it like this. Matt Chandler says, to be terrified of a kitten and have no fear of a lion makes you a fool. And that's a little harsh. But that is so true. To be terrified of a kitten and have no fear of a lion, it makes us a fool. And so what does that mean? I mean, just stop and think about, like if you find yourself, uh, you know, you come face to face with a kitten. I don't think we have anything to be scared of. But to think in that moment, this little kitten, you know, and you take off running. But yet you would go to the zoo and you would climb over the fence and down into the exhibit of a lion and walk up and just be like, hey, bud, how you doing? That, that makes no sense. To be terrified of what a kindergartner thinks of us, like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, if I can just, I just want you to, if you could just like, not just, you know, to be terrified of what a kindergartner might, might think, but to walk up and slap the president across the face. Now, some of you may want to do that, but bad move. But the point is, is like we're more worried about what a kindergartner thinks of us than, than the audacity to walk up and the point is this, we got to put things in perspective. Are we more worried about the opinions of, of man and the acceptance of, of the people around us than we are about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the, the author of all life, the one that gave everything so that we can have life in him? We're like, you know what? I know, but can I get the pen for just a minute? They got something over here they want me to do. It just, if you stop and think about it, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So we got to be careful that we're not a slave to the acceptance of the people around us. And so whether that's a coworker, whether it's a neighbor, whether it's a family member, whether it's, you know, you just, whether it's the person that's sitting next to you in class, whether it, it just, you like fill in the, fill in the blanks. And so it's more important, it's more important for us to live our lives in a way that pleases God. And when we live our lives for something and we say that something is more important than that, than pleasing God, then we've revealed who or what our God really is. And that's just the truth. So in John 12, verse 42 and 43 says this, Nevertheless, many, even the authorities, believed in him, but for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. See, they believed in Jesus. They were just afraid 
They were just afraid to make it known publicly because of what it might cost them. See, it was okay to believe in Jesus in private, but they were worried of what it might cost them if they made it public. And so there's consequences for conviction. And Peter and John are saying, I cannot connect, I can't not connect this back to, to Jesus. Like I've, it, it goes back to it goes back to him. And then another point is, is that look, doing good deeds, doing charity, doing good things are good. But the temptation is just to do those things and not give the how and the why of why we're doing them. And so those things are good things. Like, so Peter and John, John did something good. And really, the religious leaders didn't have a problem with what they did. They had a problem with how they did it and why they did it and what they were saying about that. And so it's not just that, hey, if we do good deeds, that's enough. Yes, we should good, do, do good deeds because the greatest good deed has been done for us, and so we should live our lives doing great things. But we've got to connect it back to Christ, the how and the why. We're able to do it because of the power of the work within us, and we do it because of Jesus. And so we, we stop short when we just do a good deed and think, okay, well, I did something good. Well, the temptation for Peter and John here was to, to do the good deed and keep their mouth shut as to why they did it. But they, they couldn't do that. There was too much conviction. You know, I, I was thinking about that. Like, I don't want to hear, man, Brian's such a great guy. I don't want to hear that. Man, he does such good. I, I don't, I don't want to be known as the good guy. I want to be known as the guy with the great Savior. Like, that we have a great Savior, that everything points back to, everything points back to Jesus. And so, in verse 20, as we kind of bring everything together, Peter and John say, For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. This is what they're saying. We cannot stop telling about everything that we've seen and heard. We cannot stop telling about Jesus. Like there's no way that you, that we can, can stop telling about everything that's done. I, I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this that would help us to understand, because this is a very strong statement. They're like, we don't have a choice. Like it's coming out of us. And so when, uh, when my wife was pregnant with our first child, um, he, he was a big boy when he was born. So he came out at 10 pounds, 14 ounces. And my wife, uh, all the women in the room went, oh. And she wanted to have natural birth. She's like, no epidural, no nothing. I remember at one point after she had been in labor for a while, and she was being quite vocal. And so um, at one point she says, are there not any people? Nobody else is in the hospital. Nobody's having babies. And, and I said, well, yes, there are but you just can't hear them over all the yelling and screaming. And then I'd only been married like a year, y'all. Like I didn't know anybody. So then I took a step back from the bed. But here's what it would have been like. This is what Peter and John are saying. It would have been like, she's in the middle of labor. And I walked up to her at the side of the bed and I said, Honey, you can't have this baby today. You got to stop this whole labor thing. I need you to just stop. All the ladies are going, there's no stopping it. Like once it starts, like it, once you, there's, it's, we've passed the point of no return. There's no stopping it. And that's what Peter and John are saying. It, it would be like, there's no way we can stop the work that's been done in us. I, I, look, I get what you're saying and I respect your authority, but I can't, like this can't stop. I can't stop telling people about Jesus. There's no way. 
Like, I've been down that road before. I've compromised. I've denied. I've done. But that, like, there's no going back. And you can tell me to stop. And look, I don't even know. Maybe I wish I could. But I can't stop. This that's in me, the work that's been done, it's got to come out. And the glory has got to go to God. There's no way around it. And so then the question is, is like, do we feel like that? Is that, is that for us? Like when we walk out of this church, when we leave this, this room, when we leave this campus, when we drive down John Clark Road, is that in us? Like I can't not tell people about Jesus. Like I can't stop living this life that he's called me to live. There's no way. And there's no way that I can't, like, I can't not tell him about the work that he's done and the things that he's doing. And like, I can't stop. And that's what Peter and John are, are saying. Let me read you one more passage and we're done. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we get just kind of a picture of what we're talking about here. It says, for the love of Christ controls us or compels us because we, have been, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and, and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That God has entrusted to us this message now. Therefore, we are ambassadors. We are representatives for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore, we persuade, we do everything we can for you on behalf of Christ that you might be reconciled to God. I feel like um, maybe at some point in time in your life you've had uh, an embarrassing friend, right? That like it's okay, we're friends in private, but when we get in public you never know what they're going to do or you know what I mean? And so like, yeah, I don't know them. I feel like I feel like sometimes Jesus is our embarrassing friend. Like it's fine, we're friends, but we get in public or we get in certain situations around certain people and we just like, we just want to hide our friend. Just want to hide our friend. And so this morning, we got to ask, like, we got to ask some questions. Like this text just brings some things out that we need to address in our life. Like, God, what do you want to do in us? Do I really believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit? I mean, I say I do, but I just do I see his him at work in my in my life? Do I really believe? So am I dependent upon you? Am I doing things in my life that can't be explained, that I can't do in my own strength or my own power? What excuses have I been using? Because I'm looking in the mirror and thinking, man, there's so many more people that could do da 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 Believe me, I've used it a thousand times. I think that every day. Look, when I got out of my car this morning, I was walking up to the church, and I'm like, how in the world did I get here? Like, God can use anybody, and he can do anything. And so that's true not only in my life. That's not tr just true for Peter and for John. That's not just true for Tony. That's not just true for your leaders. That's true for you. If you're a child of God, the question is, are we, are we willing? 
Have we submitted to the ultimate authority? Are we bowing to our own authority or somebody else's authority? Who's the ultimate authority in your life? Who, who really is calling the shots? Are you your own or is he? Do you belong to him? That's the question. So let me pray and uh, we'll, have a, we'll have a time of response. Let's pray.